And so now uh, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We're going to continue this morning our series in Romans. And uh, Dawson last week, did a, or last two weeks, has done a good job in explaining the transition that takes place in chapter 12. For 11 chapters, the 11 chapters that I did ahead of, of this particular time when we've now split it up, we're going to finish this series together, Dawson and I. Those 11 chapters create an immovable foundation, very strong, very profound, on what has happened to each of us who have put our trust in Christ. What is it that God has done in our lives? And it's so significant, it takes Paul 11 full chapters to explain. And he probably is just touching the surface. I think he's simply touching the surface, even if it's some of the greatest theology you'll ever read in your life. But he's building on the rich theology that is throughout the Scriptures. And in those 11 chapters, he tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we all need rescue, that we have nothing that we can exchange with God that would ingratiate us to our Creator. We failed in that. We took a good world, a world that He created good, and we have ruined it. I'm talking about mankind in general. And that He sent His Son to reclaim what is His, this earth and all that is in it, and the people that will trust in Him. These great truths build, as I said, this foundation that is immovable. And then in 12, chapter 12, there's a shift. And that shift is He's going from all that God has done in us, by His power, solo, no help from us, monergism, if you like those theology words, monergistically, Him working alone. He makes that shift and then He says in verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 1, Now, therefore, offer yourselves a living sacrifice. What He's saying, basically, and what Dawson covered so well these past two weeks, is that after all of this, the only reasonable response is for you to come and put yourself on the altar, not to die, but to live. To live for Him in a way that, that reflects all of those things that He has done. Dawson said this, he moves us from strong indicatives. Indicatives are what and who you are and what God has done for us. He moves us from strong indicatives, truths about our condition, to what God has done and to the imperatives now. So he goes from an indicative to an imperative. And this is very characteristic of Paul's writing. He says, here's who you are. Now be who you are. Don't try to get there by doing stuff. Recognize and trust the Lord, what He's done for you. Then be who you are. The imperatives, the demands, the commands, the obligations of a redeemed Christian. 
You've received mercy. This is what Dawson said. Live in a way that honors God. The implications of a life changed by the mercy of God motivates our Christian obedience. Most Christians, I'm sad to say, and almost every other religion, it, look, every other religion, it's the other way around. Obedience is, to, is, is an, in our effort to try to get the deities, whatever they are, if there's anything out there, to like us and love us and, and somehow be uh, in debt to us. Only Christianity flips those around and says, no, you cannot earn this. It's beyond price. You can't earn it. You don't have enough currency. You don't have the right kind of currency. You don't have enough merit. You'll never have enough merit. Lay that aside and receive this gift of love and let that gift of love transform your heart so that you're happy to obey. In other words, we can say along with the psalmist, your law, the, the law, O Lord, we love Your law. We see its beauty. We see its kindness. We see its grace. And therefore, because of this, we will do these things. Now, that's easier said than done. And we all struggle with it, and that's why he wrote the book of Romans. Because it is a struggle. And one of the greatest struggles he talks about here is in Romans 13. So let's read that. It's in your bulletin. First, uh, and I included verse 8. No commentator does that. They all go to verse 7 and stop. But because I'm smarter than all the other scholars in the world, I decided to create, uh, put 8. I, I did that simply because 8 is sort of a hinge. It connects what's coming after with what went before. So I'm going to read it today and next week as well. So now hear God's Word, verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Well, then do what's right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Owe nothing to anyone except your, your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, this word, submission, nobody likes this word. Men don't like it. Women especially don't like it because of how men have abused the word submission. 
but it is an important word. I would argue it's a foundational word to what characterizes a Christian or a believer in the Old Testament. makes no difference. Your submission, in other words, your giving way, your your recognition that there's somebody and some something, I hate to say something, but someone that is above you, that is transcendent to you, that is what characterized the people of God all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The only thing that God asked Adam and Eve in the Garden was submit to me, obey me, follow me, I will, I'll give you a garden. Just don't eat from that tree. Multiply, fill the earth, enjoy the creation, and spread the goodness of God out of this garden into the world. And wow, wow, did we ever do the opposite of that. So submission is foundational. So what we're going to do this morning very quickly, and, and I hope that uh, if, we don't get, if we don't get to cover it well enough, we'll come back and we'll do more in these few verses. But this morning I'm going to tell you what it is. What is submission? Why should we do it? He explains why in, this, in these verses. And what will it look like? And remember, as Dawson told us a few weeks ago, I think that you know, when you see lists and things like that in the Bible, they're, they're rarely exhaustive. They're there to provide examples. And often they point to things that we, or the church at Rome, particularly in the context of this, things they were struggling with. Believers were struggling to live under an oppressive political government. Oppressive even hateful to the point that in years to come, they would start slaughtering Christians by the thousands. So submission, what is it? Look at verse 1. Everyone must submit, must submit to governing authorities. I think he's also, and most scholars agree, that he's talking about institutional authorities in general. Government, certainly, for sure, that's in the direct view. He's talking about the the Roman Empire and all of their stuff. But he's also talking about other kinds of authority. What about church authority? I'll tell you what, if somebody in the church starts to commit sin, and we hear about it, Dawson and me and the elders, and we call them in and we say, hey, what's going on with that? That's inappropriate behavior. Cut it out. Let us help you. What percentage do you think of those people show up next Sunday to submit? Very few. They get mad. And they go around and put on Facebook, Chuck is the worst person. They would never say that about Dawson because he's not the worst person. I am the worst person. But look, people don't like to submit. And yeah, you know, we can be a little too rough. Maybe we're too hard on people. But it's life and death in the Christian world. It's not just, you know, well, it didn't hurt anybody. Oh, yeah, it does. It hurts everybody. Quit fooling yourself. Sin is evil. It's pernicious. It costs us this world in our lives. You must submit. But submitting to government and to institutional authorities is really rubs us raw. And it's gotten crazy in the West, in the enlightened 
modern world where we have rights and all of these things and you know we're not in we we have political power we have the government in our hands we've got them but we can't handle it and it corrupts us and it hurts us to no end the chancellor of uh, reformed theological seminary where i went to school Ligon Duncan, uh, many of you know who Ligon Duncan is. He said this, listen. One of the most tragic things in Christian history is that when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world or from this world, nobody believed him. My kingdom is not from this world. It's not of this world. Nobody believed him. From the beginning, our relationship, the Christian relationship with government and with authority and with power has been fraught. And we still, to this day, we can't handle it. Why? Because generally, Christians tend to go to extremes. Now, this is not just Christians. This is... Uh, any, any group of people, any societal group of people tend to do this. And religion really gives you the go-ahead to go crazy one way or the other. And in the Old Testament, you find the same thing. The kings often would go one way or the other and in some extreme, and it was never, even when the government was fully in God's hands, it was not what it was meant to be because we still, all of us, have this this fallenness of sin in our bones, in the world in general. And although Christians are freed from that when you start trusting Jesus, it still is being worked out in this world. There will never be a perfect government, right? There just isn't. Some are better than others, but they're all flawed and they're all fallen. Why in the world would he said then? Why would Paul say we got to submit to someone, the government? Here's the extremes. One is that government is bad. It's awful. It should be avoided. So let's hunker and bunker and cloister and hide ourselves and don't register to vote and don't participate in anything and just wait for Jesus to come. Oh, if he just come in a hurry. If he does and you're hiding like that, he's not going to find you. You probably hid yourself so good he won't be able to find you. Or we see government as oppressive and bad and all that, so let's be rebellious and overthrow governments. Okay, there's one extreme. The other extreme is that government is the answer. So let's get deeply invested in government. Let's take over as much of government as we can so that we can pass good laws and we can get Supreme Court justices that we want and representatives that we want and presidents that we want and we get all this stuff going and all the motives are good. Look, folks, I'm not going to say they're bad motives. They're wrong. Because no matter, un unless Jesus is on the throne, everybody that we put there is going to be what? They're going to be flawed just like us. And power is intoxicating. It's delicious. And so we think power, that's what we've got to have. 
that it's the answer. Well, on that continuum, from total non-involvement to investing too deeply, and by the way, this other end of being too deeply invested is the mark of the beast. It's not a little capsule that they're going to put under your skin or a tattoo or something like that. It is giving yourself to the secular prostitute of this world system and taking its mark. In other words, it marks you instead of having the mark that God puts on the 144,000 who are representative of the church. God puts His mark on those and the beast puts His mark on those that are committed to Him. And you and I are asked to walk through this incredible tension. And God wants you to do it. He doesn't want to fix it. He wants us to be there right in the middle of this mess. And Paul is going to tell us why. Just a hint, so if you want to doze off a little bit for the rest of the sermon. It's because we are to love our world. Verse 8. Okay? So you can go to sleep now. The word submit is hupotasso. It's a very familiar word in the New Testament. It's a word that's used all the time. Husbands, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. You know, that kind of thing. It means to be under authority. To be subject to something or someone. To obey. To be devoted. To be loyal to something higher. Submission is rooted, and listen to this, is, this is key and very, very important. Submission in all of the Bible is rooted, first of all, in God's sovereignty. He is the creator from Genesis 1 to the end when He brings the new Jerusalem. He is the creator and the upholder of all things. Even the breath in your lungs is ruach. It is the breath of God. And we are to recognize that we are under Him. We have no rights. You have no rights. None. The only rights we have are what He gives us as representatives of Him. The image, the imago Dei, to carry His image. You have the right to do that. In fact, you are obligated to do it and commanded to do that. And he tells us, trust me, and this will occur. We can, we can redeem creation together. That's what he's saying. When the government gives us rights, it's a blessing. It's icing on the cake, folks. But we can't conv- you know, convolute those things and say, well, we have these rights and, and you know, God would... No, he's sovereign. We're under him. Everything he says about us is all the rights we get. And sometimes government does what? Takes away your rights. Takes away your life. Takes away your money. They can do that. And so God gives us something they cannot take away. How do you like that? Can I have a weak amen from all you Presbyterians? God can't, the government can't take away what Jesus Christ gave you. But you see, 
Throughout history, you see believers wringing their hands. They did it in the ancient kingdom of Israel when that was a theocracy. Wringing their hands, oh, what are we going to do when the Babylonians show up? The Chaldeans, oh my gosh, the Assyrians. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And every single time, God said what to them? What did he say? Trust me. Will you trust me? All right. Submission is rooted in God's sovereignty. Submission, secondly, rooted in our creatureliness. We are from the dust. When you get home today, go to YouTube and search for What's Wrong With You People? R.C. Sproul. Have any of you heard, watched that little clip? Oh my gosh, he just tears into about 6,000 people in one of the conferences. What's wrong with you people? Somebody asked the question, wasn't God being a little bit harsh, punishing Adam and Eve the way he did? And you could just see all the hair on R.C.'s head stand straight up. Go watch it. It's, it's pure R.C. sprawl. Our creatureliness, we're from the dust. We, the air in our lungs is the breath of God. You have, what are you going to do? We are subject to Him. Submission is part of the DNA of a Christian. We don't just submit to what we like and don't like, and I don't like this, and I don't want that, and I'm going to back and forth. and No. Submission is part of our DNA. Submission is also rooted in God's character. God created the world good, and not merely good, very good. And when Moses asked God, tell me, show me your glory, tell me who you really are, he said this, Lord passed before Moses, and, the, and he said this, The Lord, the Lord, a merciful, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The word chesed that I've told you is so pregnant in the Old Testament. Faithful, keeping steadfast love, chesed for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But justice and righteousness are also part of Him, part of His character. By no means will I forgive the guilty. I will visit or punish the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And we go, that's not fair. But what he's done in this verse, in a poetic way, an ancient literary way, he's saying God is merciful and compassionate and loving and kind to a thousand generations. Only two or three generations suffer because of the sins of the fathers. Do you see what he's doing? He's simply saying that his love and his compassion way far outweighs whatever might be deserved by one generation or be passed on to another. It's remarkable. So this basic principle principle. You are not the center of the universe. I know that's hard for us in the 21st century. We are not autonomous. We do have obligations. Whether you believe in God, listen, whether you believe in God does not mean that He will exist if you believe in Him and that He will not exist because you don't. 
He exists whether you believe or not. And sadly, people just don't believe that. They think that their faith can create the God or the thing. And faith is, as I've told you, is nothing but a decision on your part. Who you're going to trust. You going to trust you or are you going to trust someone higher than you? Who tells the truth? Who's loving and kind and merciful? Principles, as uh, Tim Keller has pointed out for years, that principles are much more different, difficult to keep than laws. These are principles. Principles are not below laws, they're above laws. Laws are very easy to keep. If the law says you go 60 miles an hour, all you have to do is go 60 miles an hour and you are in full compliance and full obedience to the law. Yes? Okay. The law is easy to follow. That's not the problem. Principles are harder. Because if you're wife is in the back seat having a baby, you're not going to go 60 miles an hour. How fast are you going to go? As fast as a car will go. <laughs> you're going to break every law in the world. My wife uh, is uh, an immigrant from Cuba. They came uh, to the United States, I've told you all before, back in the early 60s uh, when Castro came to power. Her dad was a uh, uh, a rebel against Castro, and so they had to flee for their lives. They broke every law in the book to get away. The principles are harder to keep. Laws can be kept, but principles need wisdom. They need you to take the circumstances and think about it through the filter of God's Word and His character and His His our creatureliness and all of those things, His sovereignty. Take that wisdom and then you will know what to do in these difficult situations like dealing with governments, some good, some bad, all flawed. And that's what He's telling us. The apostles knew when to break the law. You think God wants us to obey you. This is what they said to the, author- the religious authorities, the Sanhedrin. You think God wants us to obey you rather than Him? We must obey God rather than any human authority. See, they understood the difference. And this is what Paul's trying to teach us. Know the difference Know when to uh, disobey if you have to, but also know when and how to obey, how to be submissive. Nobody did this better than Jesus. If you read the Gospels, you see Him do it over and over and over. Oh, should we pay taxes? Should we pay taxes? Jesus said, Show me a penny. Whose picture's on this penny? Caesar, give him what's owed to him. But give to God what's owed to him. Now if you spend any time meditating on that scripture, it will convict you because of our, our rebellious souls are no different than the ancient Jews' rebellious souls or anybody else. We all want to cheat on our taxes. 
I wanted to cheat on my taxes. I asked my dad before he died, I said, can you help me cheat on my taxes? <laughs> Those of you that know George, he, my dad paid extra money to taxes so that he could be really straight with the government. How do you submit? All right. Why do it? There's two reasons that Paul talks about. First, and this is from, from Dr. Dick Lucas, there's a theocentricity of government in these verses. It's God-ordained. Paul goes to lengths to show that government, not just democratic government, any government, any government is God-ordained. In spite of its fault, in spite of its failures, in spite of the weaknesses or strengths of any one particular governmental system, from the beginning of time until now, God instituted government because of what happened in the garden. He was no longer the king, the government, the ruler. He gave that authority to his stewards, Adam and Eve, and they blew it and gave it to a serpent, a snake. And everything went upside down. So God instituted governments and things like that so that we could keep us safe and corralled. So that we don't have a zombie apocalypse all the time, every minute we live. But instead, in most places in the world, people live in relative peace. God-ordained government. And seven times, what, what Dr. Lucas is getting at is that seven times in this few verses, he says this, government or institutions, authoritarian authorities are from God, instituted by God, appointed by God. Servants, they are servants of God. He does that two times. They are avengers of God's wrath. They are ministers of God. He's talking... To, not saying just Christian government, he's saying government in general. So why do it? Well, because God ordained it. Why be submissive to government? He ordained it. And the second reason he gives is to, to keep our conscience clear. Look at verse 3 and 5, and he talks about it in 5, but I, I, I included 3 because he's, he's getting at that uh, even as early as verse 3. The authorities don't strike fear in people who do right, but only wrongdoers. Do you want to live without a fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. You must submit, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. He's saying that submission, because it's part of the Christian character, is going to work itself out in obedience to a lot of things. One of them is government authorities. One of the ways that you show respect and honor to God is how you submit to government. Not just governments you like. Or government when they're doing what you want. Or government when... Uh, you know, they're on our side, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. I hope you understand what I'm saying. If you live in an oppressive society, he's still saying, obey the government. And use wisdom 
If the government starts to get crazy and says you can't preach the gospel or you can't do this or that, and they start infringing on true, not made up, but true rights of Christians. Gosh, that's scary, isn't it? How well do you think we've done over the centuries? Not too good. Paul says if it's only, how do you keep your conscience clear? If it's only to avoid punishment, then it's not. It won't touch the conscience. God wants to nurture in our hearts. Think about this for a second. He wants to nurture in your and my heart humility. Yes? He wants to nurture and work out uh, patience and love. He wants to work those things out. You're to be agents of love and patience and mercy. The words that come out of our mouth are to be kind and gentle. And when we do have to speak against evil, we do so from a prophetic position of a life well lived not as a hypocrite who has lots of power and just can lord it over other people, but as someone who can step into an arena and bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. People who are wise, people who are salt and light to the world. Submission is necessary for our Uh, sanctification. A theological word that means our improvement in growing closer to our Savior. Anytime a Christian suffers, we put it all in one basket. And folks, there's two different kinds of suffering in the Bible. One is just general suffering Because we live in a terrible world. We get cancer. Our hearts go bad. Our parents die. Our children die. Our world is at war. Injustice is rampant in certain places of the world. There's hatred and cruelty. All of those things. That is general evil. And it creates a general kind of suffering. But there's another kind of suffering. And that suffering is because we are servants of Christ. And that suffering is very special. The Apostle Peter and Paul in these verses is saying, when you suffer as a Christian, it's better. Because that is going to show the world truly that there's a difference between us and them. That we can actually be salt and light. Is it going to be hard to do? Yeah. Is it going to cost you? Yeah. And that's why we have Romans 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11. Because it is going to be hard. It's going to be hard negotiating and dealing with government. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you're blessed. Look how upside down that is. It's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Suffer in a way that pleases God. Keep what's doing right. Trust God who created you. What will it look like? We'll look at 6 and 7. Pay your taxes. Government workers got to be paid. 
Pay your taxes. Give to people what is owed. Here comes the hard part. Taxes, government fees to those who collect. Respect and honor to those in authority. As your pastor, I'm going to tell you, we got to stop the evil, horrific language we use against our leaders. Okay? Whoever they are, I don't care, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris or Donald Trump and Mike Pence, they're the same. They're an authority. And the way that Christians talk about the opposition when they don't like it is pure-blooded sin and wickedness. This is why Dawson didn't want to preach this passage. And he said, he told me, you're taking 13. I'm guilty. There's politicians I think are real stinkers. But I have pledged to the Lord that I won't do that. I'm not going to say any more about these men or women. I'll pray for them. I'll criticize them from a prophetic, biblical standpoint, need be. But this vitriol and hatred that we let spew out of our mouths is disgusting to God. Make no mistake. And it needs to stop. Now, I only have influence over a few people. Maybe my eldest son, he's here today, and I don't know. I can boss Marty V around. She's easy to boss. So... Yeah, yeah I try, I try bossing a Latina. You're in big trouble. All right, so you get the picture, folks. Look, there comes a time when we have to draw a line in the sand and say, this far, no further. These are the commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the words of His holy apostles to us. Speak kindly. Obey. Be submissive. Talk about the world around us in positive terms, not negative terms. Because Jesus did. Because God His Father did. Because every one of His apostles did. Speak. Let the world see this difference. Respect and honor those. Not begrudgingly. Not complaining. Why? Verse 8. Owe no one anything but to love them except the obligation of love. Let me finish real quickly. Now listen. This is not just coming out of nowhere. Jesus was born in a manger. He was born in Bethlehem. The government authorities came for this child, this little child, infant child, and probably even some older kids. They slaughtered the children in Bethlehem. And Jesus barely escaped with his life. He had to go run away to Egypt with his family and then come back into the land later. And they had to go live in a terrible part of Israel called Nazareth, a place everybody said was corrupt and awful and terrible because there was a Roman garrison there. And that's where your king lived, in Nazareth, under the thumb of the Roman authorities. And when he spoke, it didn't bother the Romans. It bothered the religious authorities. They're the ones that got hysterical. And when they finally brought it up to the Romans, 
And they decided to arrest Jesus and gave the Sanhedrin the, the troops they needed to go get him. He didn't even put up a fight. He said, he could. I, I could call legions of angels, but I'm not going to. Put your sword away. What's wrong with you, Peter? If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And in the trial, an unfair trial, a mock trial, he says, my kingdom is not from this world. You have nothing to fear from me. And they're pounding nails in his hands and feet, beating him, crushing a crown of thorns on his head, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we want to whine and complain about the things in our life that are just inconvenience, not even persecution. This great king submitted to the horrors of this kind of government. Not so you would never have to. He submitted to that, not so you would never have to, but so that you could. So that you could follow Him all the way to the cross in death if necessary. That's the kind of heart. Now you talk, you get people doing that and the world goes upside down. Yes? Upside down. Our days are getting short. We're all getting older. Marcos put his dad in the ground. I put my dad in the ground. Scott put his dad in the ground. And when you're looking at a casket that's going in the ground, you better think and think deeply about your own life and what God has done. He promised us, I'll go in that grave. I'll go in that darkness. I'll go in that forsakenness for you. Will you trust me? Will you? I hope you will. Father, we do love you and thank you. We know this is hard. It's very hard. Where do we draw the line? What do we do? I don't know. But I know we need wisdom and we need to trust you. And we need to do what, it's, what is right in your eyes even if it's at our own expense. Help us. Save us. And have mercy on us, O oh God. Amen.